CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, welcome to Hash on Coindesk TV. We're live at Consensus, day two. It's going good. Hope everyone here is having a great consensus so far and that we have much more ahead today and tomorrow. All right, I'm Zach Seward. I'm joined by Wendy O, Jen Sinassi, Will Foxley. We're the hash. We're doing it live. Just because it's consensus doesn't mean there's not news. So let's talk about it. All right, I'm going to toss it to Jen. She's got the first story of the day. All right, we are talking about regulation again. A bipartisan bill introduced in the U.S. Senate and House of Representatives is calling for federal governments to study crypto use cases for illegal activity. So what they're talking about here is studying how terrorists, money launderers, use crypto in their illegal activity, and they're asking this uh, working group to come up with some solutions. What I thought was super interesting in this story is if this bill were to pass, it would give this working group four years to come up with their recommendation. <laughs> I think we've seen that this industry just moves far too fast for this to be something that should be implemented. But Wendy, I'm gonna pass it to you first because you look genuinely disturbed by this story. Okay, so initially I was gonna say, okay, this is a great compromise because you know crypto is so dangerous and bad. There's a secret, secret shadowy coders, whatever. But realistically, we all know that fiat is worse. You can't track fiat. All anybody literally needs to do is go on to Etherscan, check those blockchain transactions, et cetera. You can check Bitcoins also. So initially I was like, this is a great compromise because we do have to work with regulators to an extent. However, four years, four years. What were they doing the last four years? What were they doing since 2017? Um, another thing that I do want to know is, um, I want to know the other type of language that's going to be introduced in the bill because every single time the public servants push something, they add a bunch of weird things and they all say that it's in order to protect the masses, but I don't know, I feel like this is going to be a little bit predatory and it's not going to be what we want or what we need. I'll take it. I mean, hey, it's a neutral technology. You gotta understand the good and the bad. I'm not opposed to it, right? We are kind of a wash in crime. You got North Korean hackers out here just Stop breaking down. Stop with North Korea. Stop it. You know what? Down, I don't want to hear about North Korea, Korea. again. No. <laughs> yeah, we should understand this stuff. Of course, crypto being associated with terrorist activity, not good for the people in the room who are also trying to build tools that can finance pro-social causes, make finance more equitable. But you gotta take the good with the bad. It's a neutral. It supports both things. It's a neutral platform. 
So hey, this is good for the chain analysis of the, of the world, the TRM labs of the world. They're probably gonna be enlisted to help figure out just where this illicit flows of funds are going. So at least they'll be busy for the next four years working in concert should this bill go through, but I don't know. Yeah, I like headlines like this one because it reminds us what the true product use case for crypto is, and that's criminal activity, right? We have to look inside these things, understand that, hey, Hamas is using this stuff. Last bear market, that was a great use case we saw. Hamas was using Bitcoin to funnel money around. Lazarus Group, they've been hacking people. Remember Ronin Bridge? That was a pretty big hack, and they oh, yeah. used that to fund nuclear weapons. So, yes, it's probably pretty important to Capitol Hill that they're going to get on top of this. The other interesting angle here is the fact that it is bipartisan. So Kristen Gillibrand, who is a Democrat senator from New York, was at consensus last year, I believe. Ted Budd, uh, Congressman Zachary Nunn from Iowa, and Jim Himes from Connecticut. So this is like a pretty diverse group. Why? Because this is a topic that everyone wants to get in on, right? It's, it's kind of like the sexy topic on Capitol Hill right now, like which introduced some legislation around regulating crypto, and then you can be the new Dodd-Frank guy over the next 10 years. But is this, really, is this really about regulating crypto, or is it really about introducing a CBDC and control? That's where my mind is we'll going get instantly. There. Okay, all right. I'm just saying, man, I want, I'm all for some sort of compromise, some sort of regulation, but at the same time, I'm a little bit untrustworthy. And don't give me your dad takes that. Did you when bring, that figure wait, goes up. Did you not bring <laughs> the tinfoil tiara? No, I didn't. Dude, what? <laughs> this would have that would have been this would have been so good. That's such a good prop. Listen, guys, if you were first watching or listening to the hash on Coindesk TV, I have a tinfoil tiara it's because true. it's important. Yeah. It's very, very important. I didn't bring it. It's true. It's true. <laughs> but hey, maybe, maybe that's maybe that's the end game here, right? Paying crypto as this big bad thing. Honestly, I think like the public auditability of these things is hugely beneficial for the case for crypto existing in the US going forward. So the fact that you can track these things in real time using blockchain analysis, I think that's an asset to the crypto cause. You want to say, hey, like we can self-regulate, we're transparent. If you go back to like the chain analysis crypto crime report, it's still such a small, small sliver of the total transaction value in crypto in any given year, right? So I think like just that, um, that transparency, warts and all, helps crypto's cause in DC. And hopefully this is fodder for some actual informed conversations rather than just like a Trojan horse to sneak in a CBDC. But, but well, don't we need clear regulation, Zach? Like, isn't that more important than examining how terrorists are using crypto? Like, terrorists also <laughs> use all kinds of other currency. The, what, ter what terrorists and criminals are doing are already illegal. I'm just so over it. But I, I must add to this story, uh, part of the working group, uh, we have all the lettered agencies involved. Yeah. So FinCEN, IRS, OFAC, FBI, DEA, CIA would all be involved yeah. in this working group. And if past uh, industry reps would be uh, appointed to the group. And one more little tidbit before I let one of you wrap us up here. Uh, this bill's already been introduced twice. So this is the third time that we're looking at third this. Third time's the charm, third time's the charm. <laughs> I think before I give it to Wendy really quick, the other example you have to look at for this is what happened in September with OFAC sanctioning of the Ethereum uh, DAP Tornado Cash. That is the regulation you're going to see unless they're able to pass something in Capitol Hill. You're gonna see like these just fist grab, punch at the wall, ban an address, don't let anyone interact with it. And that harmed a lot of different consumers. A lot of people had money that was tainted by interacting with the Tornado Cash DAP, and they can never use those funds again unless they petition OFAC, which does not answer their emails, to get the money back. So you can either have this regulation and maybe have some problems in the future, or you can keep having that issue. I don't know, Wendy. 
All right, before we get into my story, because my story is way better and I love it, but I was one of those people that got hit with the tornado cash dust. We had to write a letter. One of my attorneys wrote a letter. Um, but you know what? I'll say this. I'll end the story on this. Just as long as they um, track the banks and the pub what the public servants are doing with the blockchain analysis group, I'm all for this law, which they won't do. Anyways, let's segue into something more fun. So A16Z engineering and security heavy hitters are going to be starting a crypto custody service, which is amazing. So they're going to be doing it for asset managers, for banks, and for some other, or hedge funds as well, too. Only thing I have to say is I hope that they include retail in this because I feel like banks are going to start using crypto on a more larger scale, and we got to give protection, actual real protection, to retail. Ian Allison Scoop, Consensus Week, that's good to see. This, yeah. guy, this guy knows his way around the custody conversation better than anyone in the business. So if Ian heard it, I think it's likely to be true. This is obviously not confirmed by these folks, but it's reported by way of Coindesk, Ian Allison, so that's good stuff. Uh, custody has been like a hot sector, right? Like you have to have the technology to secure these assets to provide sort of corollary business services, right? If you're a prime brokerage, brokerage you want to make sure that your, uh, your wealthy clients can do stuff with their custody. That's become a big product line for the folks like Fireblocks and other people in the space. We even saw some big like acquisitions of custody firms by PayPal and others. So it makes sense that they're looking to service this sector should this prove to be the case. Um, and it's cool to see that uh, more custody firms are going to potentially hit the market soon. I think it's cool that A16Z is providing seed funding for this and have given their blessing. It is their chief technology officer and chief information security officer. But this is kind of, we see this often in venture funds, right? Employees get embedded in the investment thesis, they get really invested in the research, and then they go off and spin, spin out their own things. And so uh, I think it's really great that they're focusing on custody. I think it's been part of A16Z's focus as well. And so this was not a surprising story for me to read. Will? I think you guys covered it pretty well. Uh, I mean, two guys left. Alt take. Crypto VC is so boring, they're leaving. <laughs> they're like, we gotta build some stuff. There's it is kind of boring. It's like. It's the most boring story. That's why we're. We've I all mean, just what do you think, like, though? Well, the crypto VC, yeah. there's. That's like, where the money is at, though, right? Like, these guys know where money is at. They're pretty good at getting it. A16Z. Yeah. So, you know, follow the money. Right crypto custody is hot after FTX. It's gonna continue to be very hot. Yeah, one, one actually interesting thing about this story is that um, I want to say both or one of these gentlemen or people, they worked on Novi Wallet, which was also known as Cal Calibra from Facebook or now Meta. So that's kind of interesting. You guys remember that wallet? Dude, I remember it well. Oh, remember we remember fondly. that wallet. Yeah, the Calibra <laughs> team then became Novi. That team disbanded and now there's like Two blockchains using the programming language move. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, super fun and what a blast from the past. Those Silicon Valley people, they are, they, everybody knows everybody over there, that's right. Anyway, Will, give me something spicy on this, come on. Spicy takes for A16Z guys dipping out yeah. all their money. Uh, I mean, I think like the, the custody play is going to continue. I mean, it's, it's not that interesting. There's probably like half a dozen booths here that are also doing custody as well. But there's a reason for it, and you're going to continue to see it. People don't like private keys. It's confusing. You might need 12, 24 seed phrase words, whatever, just like store it on paper. People don't like doing that. It's not intuitive. It's awkward. People still like using banks. They still like having that trusted custodian. And that's why you're going to see these pop up. Now, where things do get interesting is this question of neobanks, right? Exactly. We talked about that a lot in 2020 and 2021, where a lot of these custody firms were trying to get these banking licenses and they were able to do so until most recently where it seems like the winds have shifted a little bit with some of these government regulators, notably the OCC, and they're not really allowing these custody firms 
to develop into neo banks. So, for example, one good uh, one good example here, I should say, is Coinbase, which actually went for all these different banking licenses and got pretty far. But right now, they're having a problem with the SEC over the fact that they are both an exchange and they can custody your funds at the same time, which is traditionally not how TradFi works, right? And so the SEC is kind of taking issue with that. Not saying that's what's in this Wells notice. The SEC is like beefing out with Coinbase over. But that is a known contentious point between regulators and these neobanks, which I would assume this A16Z team would develop in the future. So that's one thing to like watch forward in the next two to three years. At the moment, though, I think these, just, these guys got money and they're running with it. We have a special interview with James Tromans of Google Cloud. Everybody, give James a round of applause. All right, James is a consensus stage frequent flyer at this point. We were just over at Stage X. They revealed an exclusive announcement with us, and we have the opportunity to go a bit deeper here, hash style. So let's do this thing. James, can you give me a TLDR about the Polygon announcement that you just shared over here? Absolutely. So Google Cloud, obviously, is one of the larger cloud providers out there. But we have a serious commitment from a product and engineering standpoint with respect to Web3. And so to do that, we're going to be partnering with a number of different blockchains. We've already announced. Ethereum, we're on stage at Breakpoint with Solana, but we're super excited today to talk about what we're doing with Polygon. Uh, in particular, it, it matches our ethos around scalability, and we're, we're very, very excited to see where the future of, of Layer 2s goes and how this is going to impact the overall space. And so we're now going to be bringing to market as a first-party Google Cloud capability the ability to spin up Polygon nodes, Polygon proof-of-stake nodes right now, on GCP, fully site reliability engineered by us um, through all of our own processes. Got it. So this is about making Web3 development easier for folks, hosted nodes, escape some of the technical uh, hurdles, you make it easier for people to make dApps and stuff. It's, it's about optionality, right? I think it's really important that folks can run nodes wherever they want, whenever they want, but we also want to make sure that it's really easy for people to do that if that's not the, the competitive advantage or perhaps the thing that matters most to them. And so by leveraging GCP, right, we have a ton of dark fiber that adds to the overall internet. You can um, have your nodes spin up in any specific data center or region that we're supporting in different corners of the world. And yeah, from there, you can then use it to, to build your dApp. You can use it to, to screen for data, pass that data, go and analyze it off chain, whatever you like. Yeah, so you hear in this industry all the time, we say we're still so early, right? right. When we think about Web3, we don't always think about Google, but your rival, AWS, is really ramping up its Web3 efforts. Talk to me about the, the competition in that space. Is like, How do you feel about AWS taking up that market share? How are you guys driving each other forward? Well, I mean, I think competition's healthy, right? Um, so, I mean, I don't really concern myself too much with what uh, our competitors are doing in, in that regard. But I, I definitely think from our perspective, we're an engineering company at heart, right? Google has done a ton of open source work in, in the past, and we're bringing all of that to bear. And I think our engineering investment and the fact that we're building products as a first party capability, in addition to like the startup program we announced yesterday, right? we have 11 partners. The, this is all part of our overall commitment to the space. And so we're focusing on what we're about and, and what we think we can bring, and we're really excited by that. I want to ask you one more question about the startup program. What areas are you focusing on when you're looking at the, the startups that you want to bring into your ecosystem? Yeah, I mean, we're, 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 we're 
I mean, we want to make GCP a great place for Web3 developers to build, and I think that means that we're, we're interested in gaming companies, we're interested in, well, to be honest, we're interested in anyone that thinks they can use Web3 to really solve a proper business problem, or a problem, problem that hasn't been addressed well. And so to do that, we have you know, access to Google Cloud credits so that you can spin up resources on the platform, whether that's blockchain node engine or other stuff. But also, we're able to partner you know, with the Nansens, with Polygon, with, with a whole range of folks that we have, so that if you're part of our startup program, you can also benefit from the things that they're bringing to the table as well. And it creates this sort of virtuous cycle. It creates the ecosystem. So I had a question for you. Um, you worked on web, a Web3 gaming cloud. How do you see any type of partnership between gaming in regards to this? Because we all know that there's crypto gaming and the GameFi, that ecosystem is absolutely massive. Yeah. So what can we kind of expect with that if you can give us any bit of tidbits? Yeah, so I mean, I think, well, there's a, there's a ton of things in that question that are kind of subtle. So I, I would say, like, firstly, I mean, Google Cloud as a platform has a lot of traditional gaming companies using us to host servers, um, especially for some massively multiplayer online games. But I think where, obviously, the, the, the Web3 angle comes in is, like, what if I'm going to now be building a game that's either entirely on-chain or the assets from that game are entirely on-chain? And then how do these worlds come together, right? So from our perspective, being able to bridge the gap from like traditional game developers or traditional like just developers period and help them use Web3 to solve the problems that we think you know, are gonna make them more competitive or, or make what they're building have more value by having it be able to port from like world to world without like forgetting all of the other stuff that they've been doing, you can do it all on GCP, right? Now like with these partnerships with Polygon with the scalability uh, through zero knowledge, you can effectively have that cheaper um, ability to move assets around, pay less gas, and still be able to have all of the compute that you require to run a, a game that's you know, rich and, and visual and requires a lot of traditional hardware as well. Awesome, thank you. You're welcome. James, thanks for joining us today. I have to ask about the million different fake Google partnerships <laughs> that have been announced in the last five years. Like, anyone who was using Google Docs and had a blockchain and was announcing a partnership with Google <laughs> at some point, what does it actually mean to be partnered with Google? Like, Give us like the meat of how you guys are working with Ethereum or Polygon or another chain. Yeah, I mean, I, I have kind of said it, but you know, I mean, the most important thing that I would say separates this partnership from maybe other announcements or whatever is that you know, product and engineering resources that Google, is, you know, Google software engineers are building tools and capabilities that are like you go to Google Cloud and you go to like the dashboard and like you can see like blockchain node engine is there and that's now supporting or will be supporting Polygon, right? So that isn't something that just happens from an announcement. That happens to actual engineering work and people doing like learning how to run the chain properly. Like in the case of Ethereum, like when, when there's an issue, like can we bring it up? Can we keep it running? Are we, so we're part of the community just like anyone else doing that and we're trying to make it easier for other people who perhaps don't think that that's their competitive advantage to be able to run nodes well to focus on writing the smart contract. Um, which is maybe you know, unique to their business. So this, this partnership, along with many others, by the way, uh, are grounded in like, real hard work from a whole host of people, and it's often engineering-led. Yeah, one follow-up for you really quickly. At its basis, this is financial software. How does Google interact with that, knowing like, like, the story earlier before, talking about like, regulation, criminal activity on these chains. How does Google think about that when you guys are supporting these networks? So I, I slightly disagree that at its core it's just financial software. I think there's a lot more to it than that. I think you know, um, money is data, and data is what's moving around on the blockchain, and that can be used for a whole host of different things. And I don't think we should limit ourselves to this is just finance. 
Um, so from our perspective, I mean, obviously, you know, we have Rich and my team, he spoke after me on stage X earlier, uh, who's, who's a lawyer and he thinks about these things all the time. So we're, we're very aware of the overall space, but we're trying to help other people be building the things that, you know, are going to be shifting the future of maybe be, maybe maybe gaming or maybe the financial services market. We're, we're building the, the, the unlocking capabilities that are going to help them be successful. I want to go back to like the early point and the small point, right? We heard from Electric Capital yesterday at Protocol Village. They do the developer report across the crypto ecosystem every year. Right. It's something like you know, 20,000, say, monthly active developers any given point in time here in, here in 2023. So this is a pretty niche line of business. So I guess my question from like a Google Cloud, right? What's the business proposition that you guys are looking to establish? Are you looking to be early? You're looking to sort of incentivize those numbers to grow? Like when you're trying to make this case to hire up executives, what's the selling point? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic point, right? Like at the end of the day, whether you want to make the number sound big or make the number sound small, like whether it's 20,000 developers or 30,000 developers, which is a 50% difference, it's a small number of developers compared to like the number of developers building on GCP today, right, which is significant orders of magnitude larger. So for our, from our point of view, we're seeing this as a really interesting engineering area, right? We see it as a growth area. We think that there's a lot of interesting things happening here, and it's, it is attracting the cutting edge mindset of development. And Google always has wanted to be, and, and always has been, in that space. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an investment. We want to learn. Right, a lot of this is about learning about how the community works, how the technology works, what can we build to help other people. And, and so, you know, this is a journey for us as it is for everyone in the audience. We have a guest on The Hash to today. Today, <laughs> <laughs> right. tomorrow. There's a renewed push to use blockchains to track the transfer and ownership of traditional assets from property to equities. Join me in welcoming Carlos Domingo, the CEO of Securitize to the stage. Carlos, welcome. Thank you, thanks for having me. Thanks for being with us. Yesterday you spoke on the Money Reimagined stage about tokenizing real world assets like real estate, art. Tell me about the benefit of doing this. Well, if you think about real world assets or, or you know, financial products, most of them they're actually not digitized at all, right? So, so the first mo most obvious advantage is to be able to digitize them. And once you digitize them and then you're able to track the ownership and move the ownership in a, you know, in a good ledger like a blockchain is, then you can actually unlock a lot of the value that is not possible when they're not digitized, right? So you can you know, provide a better fractional ownership, so you can then reach out uh, you know, a different kind of investors. You can provide better liquidity by enable trading in a more efficient way. You can do lending against them because you know the provenance of the asset and you can use DeFi type protocols for doing that, etc. So all this stuff doesn't really exist in an efficient way in, in capital markets unless you have a very large scale, right? Like if you have hundreds of millions of dollars, you can you know, enable all that, those things, but if you're an individual investor with you know, $20,000, $50,000, most of those things are not available to you. Give me an example. Let's say we wanted to tokenize real estate. Walk our audience through what that might look like. Well, first, you don't actually tokenize a physical object itself, right? So there is a process called securitization, which, by the way, this is why we're called securitize, which is what traditional capital markets have done when they want to provide fractional ownership into a physical asset. So let's say you have a building, so you're going to put that building on an SPV. That's the process of securitizing. That then what you do is you sell securities or, or, or shares of this SPV to the investors, and then they own a, the economic interest of a fraction of the building. And then in the case of tokenization, what you do is you actually take those shares, which typically will be paper-based or whatever, and you actually use 
a public distributed ledger, like a, blo a public blockchain, as the way to represent the beneficial ownership of the security. So you have you know, a wallet per investor that contains how many you know, small pieces of this building you own through the security decision process. And that ledger then allows you to then prove the ownership of the asset. I do own like 10 shares in this thing. It allows you to control how you transfer it to other investors by using smart contracts. It allows you to you know, prove the provenance and put it as collateral for a loan, et cetera. And those, those things are actually not possible unless you have the ledger that allows you to do that, so. I have a question about this. So, because um, you mentioned securities a lot plus the project name. Um, it, will will non-accredited investors also be able to participate in this, or is it just going to be for accredited investors? So whether you can participate or not, it doesn't depend on, uh, it depends only on whether the security is registered or not with the regulator, so, or, or what type of exemption you follow. So in the US, you can register a security, so you go to the SEC and you say, I want to sell this security to retail investors. That's what people do when they go public, for instance. They, mm -hmm. they file an S1 and register. That's one way of doing it. You have a fund, you can do a 40-act fund and register with the SEC, and there's hundreds of funds that are registered. Or you can follow exemptions for registration, which means you don't have to talk to the SEC or you don't have to follow the registration process. And in those cases, then either you have to restrict yourself to accredited investors, or you can do things like Reg CF, Regulation Crowdfunding, or you can do Reggae Plus, which are kind of like lightweight registrations if you want, to be able to sell to retail. So this, this thing that this is only for accredited investors, it's actually not true. Okay, thank you. I got a question, I mean, so, you know, Gary Gensler says most cryptocurrencies are likely securities. It's sort of the big regulatory cloud in the room. Yep. I think a lot of people think securities is sort of like a bad word or a scary word. You obviously deal with them pretty intimately. What's your view on that statement from Gary Gensler? I actually think that, look, you know, I, I, I tend to agree with that statement. I think most tokens out there have been sold to raise money and are being purchased by people that are purchasing because they think they're gonna go up in value with the benefits of whoever is the project people behind that got the money and that's the clear how we test and definition of a security. I don't understand why the crypto people are so concerned about securities and in the US there's like 40 trillion securities being traded every day. People register securities all the time, people trade with securities and I actually think doing those on the blockchain is very advantageous as opposed to traditional markets. Of course, if you can ignore securities regulations, you eliminate a lot of the friction and cost, but you also incur in a lot of the risks that we've seen in the market of, you know, bankruptcies, fraud, and stuff like that, that with proper, you know, investor disclosures, and which is at the end of the day what a registration is, will not have happened. What are some benefits specifically from the blockchain side of things that would be beneficial to the securities market? I mean, we've had the securities market for 150, two, maybe even 400 years. We want to go back all the way to the Netherlands and the, the Dutch launch and all this stuff. What now does blockchain bring to the table that you think would be beneficial? So, so look, like a blockchain at the end of the day is, is a very good ledger, right? It's a very good ledger that has been designed to be cryptographically secure and being able to represent asset ownership and transfer the ownership in an efficient way, right? So if you think about what capital markets are, at the end of the day, they are, you know, securities and entry on a ledger that says you own, you know, 10 shares of Apple and when you want to trade it, you have to modify another ledger that says you have $10 in the Citibank account and then you have to swap them, right? So the, the lack of a good ledger where you can represent securities and, um, and cash, let's say using stable coins, and, and move them efficiently and track the ownership of those things in an efficient way is actually very problematic in capital markets. So you say that capital markets have existed for 200 years, but actually in the US until the 60s and the 70s, most of the securities trading happened on paper. People have to physically, a brokerage house, move a paper certificate from one house to another one, and then at some point in the 70s, the New York Stock Exchange closed on Wednesdays because they couldn't physically trade, because they have to move the securities, right? And that's because there was no ledger that they could update. 
So then the DTC was created, electronic trading happened, volumes went up, and that created all the sort of problems because it's a centralized ledger that nobody has visibility on. So this is why settlement periods in capital markets are like two days. This is why the dividend payouts are extremely inefficient. It could take a month until you get your money because you know, if you are Apple, you don't know who your shareholders are. Private markets are even worse because there's literally no infrastructure. So um, I don't think that the fact that capital markets function, it means that they function efficiently as they could function if they were running on top of a public blockchain where you can actually do all these functions in a better way. So follow up on that, a, a lot of DeFi is still really immature, and so the ability to trade these things would necessarily lead to losses for traders, right? So think of the rise of MEV over the last few years, you're necessarily going to take some hits if you're using something like a, a Uniswap pool that's not as liquid, and you're, if you're trading security in that, that could lead to like a a worse trading execution for someone who's just like a mom and pop retailer. How do you think these securities and any DeFi rails would like function together? Do you have any concerns about that? So for, first, this is the point of regulation, right? So regulation, for instance, ensure that when you're trading, you always get the best uh, price and that you can't be like uh, doing worse. Like DeFi uh, in particular, I think this, DeFi has two things. Right? One is lending and the other one is automated market making. I think that the lending part is super interesting, right? Because if you think about why it's complicated to borrow money against something, because first, you need to put the provenance of the asset. Do you actually own the asset? Second, you need to be able to kind of lock the collateral while the loan is outstanding. And third, you need to be able to liquidate the collateral if something happens. So in the securities world, sometimes lending against securities is complicated because of that process that DeFi can simplify. Then automated market making is, could be very interesting for securities as well if you make it work in a legal way, which is not the case today. But um, because it enables you know, to provide liquidity to long tail liquid assets which a lot of securities are very liquid because they're, you know, they don't have a market for it, right? So I see both of those technologies being very innovative and eventually you know, trickle down into the world of you know, securities and the regulated markets. Maybe not exactly in the same shape and form, but in a very similar way. Let's jump into the Mt. Gox story. So yesterday, Bitcoin slid. It went down to $27,000, but Bitcoin's price is back up. Why did it go down yesterday? Well, there was a rumor about Mt. Gox trading coins along with the US government. So prices slid about 8%. That being said, we have another story around Mt. Gox that came out around the same time, talking about how there will actually be less price impact than expected because not all the coins from Mt. Gox will be sold. This is expected to occur in September. About 140,000 Bitcoin and a lot of other currencies will be dumped at this time, open to all these creditors who have put in applications for about the last 10 years. A lot of people see this as pretty dangerous for the price of Bitcoin because that is a lot of Bitcoin. That's more than Tesla has. That's more than Marathon Digital has. It's up there with Coinbase and a few other firms' micro-strategy in terms of Bitcoin holding. So it could be pretty negative. But this report says otherwise. So Wendy, going to throw it to you. Get your take on it. I'm actually looking at the chart right now, and I feel so sad for everybody who was using any type of leverage yesterday. Literally, longers and shorters got absolutely decimated. <laughs> RIP. Always use a stop, I guess. I don't even know. But I just don't think that they're going to be dumping all their Bitcoin at once. Like I feel like it's important to take into consideration when these people got their Bitcoin, how much profit they're in. Maybe some people don't want to. Um, maybe they don't want to start selling it. And also, too, maybe some of these creditors use like random email addresses from like 10 years ago on AOL, and they are not getting the communication that they're getting their Bitcoin. So I feel like there's a lot more information that we do need, because I feel like we get little bits and pieces. And you know, I feel like things are going to be OK. And if people decide to dump and not use OTC, we'll, we'll weather the storm together. 
Yeah, this has always been that looming prospect of just a massive like sell pressure coming into the market. And I think some of those concerns, uh, according to this report and others, have been kind of overblown, right? Like, I don't think there's going to be massive sell pressure or coordinated action that happens when this floodgate of, of Bitcoin hits the market, right? And I think people who are looking at the data, like, suggest that that's probably not going to happen. So um, it, it could happen, I guess. Stranger things have happened in crypto history. But this has long been sort of that boogeyman that's been out there where it's like, oh, when the Mount Gox coins unlock, like, all hell's going to break loose and, like, Bitcoin's going to dump so hard. I think, like, the consensus is kind of emerging from Matrix Report and others that that's not likely to be the case. But it is just a fascinating part of, like, Bitcoin's history that Mt. Gox's, like, uh, bankruptcy proceedings have been taking place for, like, the better part of a decade. And we finally are likely going to see some conclusion to this saga probably later this year. But, yeah, I don't know if it's going to be that sort of cascade of, uh, of cheap Bitcoin that many are fearful of. What isn't a novella. It, Just a novella. It's a novella. Isn't it crazy? A decade. The worth of the of the Bitcoin over the decade has increased into the billions. It's absolutely insane. And this story killed the consensus pump yesterday. I was watching all about Bitcoin and watched that line just go down. Will, I actually want to ask you a question. Like, how much... How much should we be paying attention to these reports that say, actually, don't worry about this. The data says it's not going to affect the market. I just feel like the things that we correlate to the markets, we're kind of grasping at straws sometimes. Yeah, I don't know if that, the hash crew here is very good with the price prediction stuff. Like Historically, <laughs> we haven't we have sure. an amazing job with it. Maybe Windy. Sometimes we're Maybe good at windy. it. Uh, no, I, I would put this up with like the banking reports that we kind of kick around, right? They're like, DeFi is going to be a big thing. You're like, well, We've known that for about three years, uh, but thank you. I think that these reports kind of fall into that bucket. All right, I'm changing gears. We got another big thing story. This will be fun. I'll pop it back to you. We just <laughs> talked about real world assets with, uh, with Carlos from Securitize, and he's not the only one who's bullish on the tokenization of real world assets. Ty Lobin, he works for JP Morgan, their Onyx blockchain team. He says that tokenization is going to be the killer app for TradFi. There's something like $471 trillion of assets in the world. Crypto obviously is like maybe a $1 trillion total market cap currently. So obviously this is a huge opportunity for blockchain technology and people within the banks and people working at platforms like Securitize seem to think that this could be the hot new thing. Will, what do you think? Okay, I feel like you're trying to set me up here. This guy actually works on product. He's not a researcher, and those are two. This guy's legit. It's still he a banking report. Thing. Yeah, this guy works on product. He's okay, still wrote he's, a banking he's moving this is money no around. Report. This guy's legit. This guy is is very legit. If you look inside this article, I believe it says about six hundred billion dollars of volume on their Onyx platform, which is essentially like a white labeled version of Ethereum. The copy pasta, the software, change a few things to make Jamie Dimon happy, whoever's running uh, the bank these days and then they booted up, and now they have like this alliance of different banking partners swapping tokens back and forth. Those tokens are probably dollars, but they could be other things as well. In the future, the hope is all these different banks would be able to swap token versions of assets back and forth. Maybe that's commodities, maybe that's securities, maybe that's dollars. And it seems like they have a pretty working product. I mean, in terms of like volume, that's nothing to like sneeze at necessarily. Uh, it's not as big as like Bitcoin trading volume per year or even Ethereum trading volume per year, but it's not a tiny amount. So there's, there, there's something here. And I think banking systems, they do want a better way to clear payments. This is faster, it's safe, it's secure, and it's there. Back. I mean, I'm with you. I mean, I heard a talk, so Protocol Village yesterday, I was emceeing that stage. At the very end, there was a conversation between Sergey Nazarov of Chainlink 
and a high up official at State Street, a big bank, right? And they were talking about these sort of business efficiencies that blockchain can provide. I don't really understand like what's catalyzing some interest around that conversation because it just feels reminiscent of like last cycle, right? But maybe for some reason, people are saying, all right, we need a better system for like moving these assets around the world and maybe blockchains are the way to do it. So there is sort of like, I don't know, again, this sort of growing momentum around the idea of tokenized RWAs meaning, meaning like being a significant part of the crypto ecosystem going forward. I don't know, I don't know if I buy it yet because I don't think like, I don't think the value proposition is that much stronger. But again, if there's any like enterprise people in the room or like bank people in the room, Feel free to correct me after, but I just want I to see know. all the assets and banks get tokenized so that we can actively track them and see what they're doing and see all the terrible things that they're doing and predatory practices and all the fines that they've had to pay. I think the banks have had to pay collectively $3.4 billion in the last three years for bad practices they did. And I would like to be able to get some more transparency on that, um, especially when I'm um, yelling at public servants on Twitter.com. It's a big show for the tiara. I'm, so, I'm still so <laughs> sad it didn't make yeah. a trip from LA. I think we could still make one for tomorrow. We yeah. We'll make one. We'll get Wendy a tinfoil tiara for, for tomorrow. What stood out in the story for me was JP Morgan saying, despite the bear market, they're still building and lucky to have the resources to be able to do so. I remember when we started talking about like institutional crypto, we were like, oh, this is the road to boring. And then the bear market came and we saw institutions winding down some of their Web3, some of their crypto products. We saw brands winding down. And to see JP Morgan um, continue this project, I think, I think it shows that we're still on the road to boring despite the bear. Wendy? <laughs> um, so these banks get to like close people's accounts down that are affiliated with crypto, but then they're excited oh, about yeah. it. And, They're excited, you know, it's like a, but not when it comes to you doing your own thing. I don't like to be told what to do, Jen. Come on. Don't poke the bear. <laughs> All right, well, I think we have an actual animal here. It's not a bear market not anymore. A bear. Not a bear. I think it's actually an alpaca market. That's our next special guest. We advertised two special guests. But we actually have three. So can we get the alpaca up here, please? Can we get the animal it's on the stage? actually a celebrity alpaca. What? Yes. So we this right here is Lefty cool. the Alpaca. We are suckers for a good gimmick. And this, sir, Hello. is a good gimmick. Why do you have an alpaca with you today? Yeah, this is our uh, business development intern, <laughs> Lefty. Uh, was at our oh. booth for the last three hours. So everyone that came by, thanks for checking it out. Yeah, did a great job, I think. That's cool. So, um, what does, it, does Lefty have any like KPIs? Like, how do we know that Lefty is um, is doing <laughs> oh, his job? He's delivering. Sorry, yeah, yeah. He has his OKRs. Oh, uh, trying to like uh, get everyone to the booth, and I think we're like seventy percent completion at least. Nice. So, like, all these people are going to see Lefty. They're going to like delegate their stakes course one. Tell me about like what your business is all about while I cuddle with Lefty. Yeah, definitely. Course one, we're a multi-network staking provider, uh, active on like about 50 protocols. So we help institutions and uh, individuals stake their tokens and earn rewards. And yeah, so if you if you want to like participate in the network, secure the, the ecosystem, you can stake your tokens with us. We take care of the infrastructure and the technical <laughs> parts, and you can also offer like the staking to your clients. And so that's that's the business. <laughs> This one, this one is for Lefty. Lefty, what is your favorite coin? Is Lefty a maxi of any variety? Yeah, Lefty's anti-Doge. Okay. Oh, she's, oh. She's like a, oh no. Lefty. Wow. She's per, 
Curve. Of course. If people know like Curve, that's definitely good uh. CRV. They like alpaca, so Lefty also is an alpaca, obviously, so <laughs> yeah. I think that this is absolutely amazing. It makes me excited. Maybe can we bring Lefty to the SEC congressional hearing so we can get some good regulation for, for crypto folks? Because Sure, no, no one can, can say no to Lefty. To lefty. Could, could help, you know, calm down the, <laughs> down the regulator. All right, well, we got to get you on the board. Any questions for Lefty before we wrap this thing? <laughs> mm, I don't have much for Lefty. Does he like DeFi Llama? Is he a supporter of that? Yeah, Lefty loves TVL in DeFi, <laughs> but also in staking especially. So okay. if, you, if you have tokens, stake them. Can I give you a marketing suggestion? Please, please. You should say my platform is so user-friendly that a llama could do it. But it's an alpaca. Oh. Alpaca. An alpaca. But also, yeah, we don't discriminate against llamas. Oh. Well, that is lovely. Thank you for joining us. Thank Lefty, you. thanks for being here. Let's have a big round of applause for... Thanks, Lefty. Lefty the alpaca. Amazing. Amazing. And yeah, thanks to Texas Party Animals for helping us out with this one. Awesome. Thanks so much. That's going to be it for the show today. I'm Zach. That's Wendy. There's Jen. There's Will. We're the hash. We'll do it again tomorrow, and hopefully we'll have another live animal. Bye, everybody. I'll be the live animal. <laughs> You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Hopefully this is the last time you hear this ad, because with Chime Checking Account, features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts, or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals24. That's chime.com goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com slash disclosures for details.